Okay, we are live. Happy Friday to everybody. I am Ryan Catherwood, and that is Chris Marshall. And this is Alumless. Alumless is a Chris Marshall Advancement Consulting production. As you all know, on the show, we discuss alumni and donor engagement strategies and other trends in university advancement. Thanks to our listeners for making Alumless part of your routine, whether you listen to us at the office or you're working out or uh, making something for dinner and you have alumnus playing in the background, uh, we're grateful that you are taking some time to listen to us. Uh, we're broadcasting live today as we always try to be, although not every time are we live. Today we are. Uh, we often get an energetic discussion going in the LinkedIn comments, so please be sure to say hello, uh, what school you're from, introduce yourself, and of course don't hesitate to ask Chris or myself any questions that you might have. But better yet, uh, questions for our special guest today, Dwayne Wiles from the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Uh, if we can't get to your questions during the LinkedIn live broadcast, we'll be sure to ask it during the bonus segment, which we air uh, by podcast. So, of course, be sure to subscribe to the podcast version of Alumnus to catch the entire episode. Chris, what's going on? How are you? Good to see you. We were together in person. We were. We were. We, we, we landed together at uh, Boise State, Women Mary, and this time, University of Buffalo. University of Buffalo. And not only that, we were on the same flight from, uh, and we did some uh, jockeying around and managed to sit together on the ride to, to discuss the project, which was cool. Chris, as many of you might, might know, is um, a real, like a world leader in points. <laughs> uh, when it comes to uh, United Airlines as well as Marriott. So yep. um, is, are you at the highest level now, Chris, or, or this just next highest? I, I, on, in United, I am at the second, the only one above. I'm at 1K, and then one above is a global services, which means you spend a lot of money on United Airlines. There's no even way you can track whether or not you're close to it. They just tell you you've gotten it. But I don't think <laughs> I'll ever be there because I don't do those you know, first-class international flights like some of the business travelers do and get that That's status. True. But on Marriott, I even beat out uh, our, our friend at, at William & Mary, Matthew, who posted it. He had had 1,800 nights at a Marriott over the last 20 years. And I looked up mine when we were on the flight together, and it was like 2,400 in the past eight years or something. It was crazy, whatever it was. Yeah, it's a very, very large number of, yeah, of miles. Uh, and uh, your Marriott Bonvoy account is similarly uh, large. <laughs> But I thought it would actually be interesting to, to share with listeners maybe some of your travel strategies. And you are an expert business traveler. I was impressed yeah. the way that yeah. you hustled to the airport and caught a flight in about 70 minutes yesterday uh, afternoon. What would you, for those out there who are sort of like Chris Marshall, give us your secrets <laughs> on travel. What would you say? Uh, get every single travel if you're going to do a lot of traveling get every single thing that's offered tsa pre get clear get global entry there's a few ones if you're in the uk a lot the coming back and forth in the uk has made a lot easier uh pick a couple um, you know pick an airline pick a hotel pick a rental car although i almost always uber nowadays and just stick to it and and points accumulate and great things can happen when you do business travel and points accumulate and you can take your family who have missed you all that time on great vacations because you're using those points you've accumulated. Those are from little ones, but there's yeah. all kinds of hints and secrets about getting through airports quickly and all that. Pack one carry-on bag, kind of you know those things. And don't you know, schedule your uh, you know a second flight, you know less more or less than two hours because yeah. there's you know you might lay over or missing or it right. 
morning flights are always better. They're, they're more likely to go on time than evening flights. Hard to do in our business, but yeah. anyway, yeah. Well, you're back home, uh, sort of home today. You're on the campus of Lafayette uh, College, right? Which is interesting because it's sort of the arch rival of yeah. your alma mater, Lehigh. So I know you're both excited to be there, but also somewhat conflicted. <laughs> um, but I want, and I think, you know, and you're there for the long term, right? I mean, you're spending yeah. a day a week there for the next year. And I thought that was something that folks who think about consultants might not know is that, yeah. you know, some you actually are, in this case, part of their team yep. for a long period of time. And that's, and that is something they do. Can you share just a little bit about that? Yeah, it, it's, uh, it, in, in, you know, the lit category falls under sort of interim staffing. I mean, they had a, some exodus, um, you know, like many schools have had over, you know, coming out of pandemic and changing work styles and hybrid and this, that they needed some help to sort of permanently hold down some of the things. I think of it as sort of there's a, there's a couple of people here who are driving, but my, my hand's sort of on the wheel ready to help them as they need it. So it, it's on call regularly throughout the week. And then we schedule a day every week where I'm here, at least one, some of the weeks are two days um, to right now we're sitting in a meeting with a, a wall, a whiteboard on the other side here. That has start, stop, continue, and rethink. And we spent the last two hours going through all the annual giving work that falls into those different categories. And then this afternoon, we're going to spend on the alumni engagement work with the goal of trying to think about how do we focus and streamline, which is the word you always hear me use, Ron, right? Focus, focus, yeah. focus. Uh, the, the work they do on the most important things, given the limited staff that we have. So it, it's a really, and, and from, from my standpoint as a consultant, it's my favorite work to do because you feel like you're part of a team. You're not coming in assessing and writing a report, you're coming in and saying, let's we'll do you know, this together. One of the things I love most is, is working with a team and yeah, feel like you're part of it in these scenarios. So I'm fortunate. No doubt. Here. Even though they're our rival, if I'm a Lehigh person, they're good people here. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about it. Well, certainly a, a great opportunity for both you and the team there. But, um, you know, I think one of the interesting questions when you're in on that kind of a, an opportunity is working with a team over the long term. Um, how do you set goals? You know, what observations, uh, you know, have you been able to make there with the team uh, sort of broadly? And and what, how do you think about goal setting more broadly in our space, right? Uh, in terms of setting markers. I thought that was sort of interesting in your interim status there, but then thinking more broadly. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to be quick on this because I want our guest is going to talk about this extensively. And he, he's one of the best at this. And goal setting and alumni engagement has been sort of a, a reach too far for many institutions and many programs out there. And, you know, in an interim role like this, it's very simple. It's uh, we have some gaps. We have a lot of work that we got to get done. It's a liberal arts college with 30,000 alumni with 30,000 events and details that go on throughout a year. And my, my role in goal setting in this case, this today in our retreat is to figure out what are the most important things that have to happen and what are the things that are gonna, we're going to just not do or hold for the next year. Uh, for us, goal setting means it's, it's literally in this year. When it's a, when you're in a, in a broader context, I think you have annual goals, but you have longer term goals as well. It's trying to get to a point where, you know, and it also comes back to my days as a collegiate swimming coach, where what do you want to, what time do you want to hit this year? But what time do you want to hit by senior year if you're a collegiate coach or if you're an elite athlete? It's I want to do this in these years, but by the time I hit the Olympic year, I want to make sure I hit this. It's It's setting those marks. And on the alumni engagement side, Case has laid out a, a formula that allows us to start this process. Now, that's the beginning of it. The, the details, and that helps you measure breadth of engagement. Well, when we get into it uh, with Dwayne a little bit, we're going to talk about breadth, but also depth, meaning, you know, how, you know, if you count the case categories, counts everybody the same. 
but the chair of your board and you know your top donor and your number one volunteer and person who goes to a bunch of events counts as a one as the same as the person did only you know clicked an email open on their phone and um, so measuring who's doing what and and, and having a, a, a sort of a weighted model that allows you to set that gives you a chance to set goals for both breadth across your population or segments of your population. Um, you could have a college or school within a university have a certain goal. You can have a firm and breadth of engagement. You can do it by uh, class year, et cetera, uh, or affinity group. But the, um, the the depth goal is a really interesting one. And I have several clients working on now a scoring model that can help indicate to them, uh, is their population getting more engaged as a breath, but generally speaking, are we getting deeper engagement? And does that lead to other outcomes like giving? Um, and that's the kind of goal setting I like to see schools thinking about. And it's, I would put it in the, you know, fairly sophisticated level of an alumni program if you're having these kinds of conversations. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, let's talk to Dwayne, bring him out, add him to the discussion. Dwayne Wiles, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing great. As we like to say uh, up here on Rocky Top, happy Big Orange Friday. Yeah. Happy <laughs> Big Orange Friday. Dwayne is in a great mood down there in Knoxville. <laughs> Dwayne is the chief alumni officer at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. It's great to have you on the show. Um, so, Dwayne, you've been at UT for almost three years now. Uh, how has your thinking changed around goal setting throughout your tenure? And you started right before the pandemic, right, which was obviously, I'm sure, challenging for you. So I imagine goals have changed a lot now. Uh, that we're back being fully in person again. Yeah, and no, that's an excellent question, uh, Ryan. And and I want to thank you and Chris for the invitation once again. And um, uh, Chris, that was excellent advice on uh, travel. Uh, global entry has been heaven sent for me, uh, no doubt about it. And also, it is so true. Uh, if you find the right airline and the right hotel, stick with it so that those points can add up. So uh, very much appreciate it, and I'm glad that uh, you reinforced that so I know I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but getting back to uh, goal setting, uh, for me, it is all about alignment. Aligning your goals, as I like to say uh, here at the University of Tennessee, with the enterprise. And I say the enterprise because uh, we are part of a UT system. So you have the UT system, which is under the leadership of President Boyd, also our CEO and president of the UT Foundation in Witcher. Uh, then you have the UT Knoxville campus. Uh, so that's under the leadership of Chancellor Plowman and my boss, uh, uh, the Vice Chancellor for Advancement and Bryant. Now, for us, understanding these expectations, meeting and exceeding those expectations is our focus. And I really like what Chris said earlier, um, and, and I couldn't agree uh, anymore. And, and that is the importance of having a focus and streamlining. We can't be everything to everyone. And in this industry, we have to learn how to say no. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, I will tell you this, our main goals have remained consistent pre and post pandemic. You know, we have a focus on increasing our overall alumni engagement numbers, increasing our annual donor counts, increasing our annual dollars raised and have at least 80 percent of our volunteer leaders. And these are folks that are serving on uh, uh, our alumni board, uh, alumni chapter or our special interest and diversity councils give or contribute to the university on an annual basis. So key. Uh, and what has changed 
for us now is the fact that uh, we're, we're becoming even more laser focused on our goal setting and we're creating a baseline uh, primary, which is about two and a half percent, or it could be more depending on the goal increase from the baseline and a stretch goal, three and a half percent, or it could be more, again, depending on the goal that we set uh, for each of our goals that are now consider as part of a new incentive compensation uh, plan that we just rolled out. So guess what? Alumni relations, communications, we're all part of the incentive compensation plan. It's just not our frontline uh, front uh, fundraisers and our uh, development team. We're all considered. And incentive compensation at the University of Tennessee is uh, basically a variable compensation tied to performance metrics. And, and it's from the foundation at the campus level and also with the individual. So in a nutshell, uh, each staff member, whether you're exempt or non-exempt, uh, will set up to at least three SMART goals. So these goals have to be uh, strategic, measurable, attainable, relevant, and timely. You know, we, we all know the drill. Uh, and our foundation works with the various UT campuses to set uh, up a system goal and then uh, we work with our campus advancement uh, team to establish campus goals. So we are measured on individual goals, campus goals, and uh, at the uh, system or foundation level goals. That's that's wonderful explanation, uh, yeah. Dwayne. Jump in real quick, Ryan. Yeah. Ryan. I've heard various versions of goal setting, but you're one of the first people I've heard tie it to performance and comp. It's, yeah. it's it's really impressive, and so I'm sure Ryan's going to want to dig. Like that almost threw me for a whole loop. I was just going to go right in that direction. <laughs> like, go, yeah. The rest of the show, I was just going to go. Ooh, talk about that. <laughs> um, but Dwayne, let's talk a little bit about the UT strategic vision plan. Yeah. You know, there's a new plan from the UT Knoxville at under Chancellor Plowman's leadership that yeah. you know you're focused on there. Have you had an update, had to update your goals or focus areas properly to align with the UT strategic vision plan? I mean, how did you have to shift things around at all to sort of align with the overarching university strategy? Sure, that's an excellent question. First and foremost, you know, it was just great to be at the table. So be involved in the initial conversation as we develop the strategic new strategic vision uh, for the university. So being at the table, along with uh, several of our alumni board members being at the table, we were able to be a part of the process and see it from beginning to end. So that always helped. So uh, for all of you out there that's uh, going through a new strategic vision or plan for your institution, make sure that you're at the table and that you have a voice. Uh, for, for us, you know, it's a, it's a matter of us leveraging this new strategic vision to engage more of our alumni throughout the state of Tennessee and abroad. And so providing more opportunities, looking at the strategic vision and looking at how we can provide more opportunities for our alumni to engage in the life of the university through mentoring, student recruitment, um, career shadowing, uh, guest speaking, and we've been able to leverage platforms like uh, Handshake and Graduate and Career Shift to, to help us implement some of those things. And, and yes, we've had to update uh, some of our, our goals to help advance this new strategic vision for the university. Um, one of the things that we did is we committed over the next five years to create and establish what we call area representatives. Uh, so these are not chapters. These are area representatives uh, who are 
alumni uh, of the institution who will serve as a point of contact for the university in the 95 counties that we have here in the uh, state of Tennessee. Uh, it is very ambitious, but we are excited as heck to be a part of uh, this, this rollout. Uh, we have five years to make it happen, and uh, we've already started the process. And it's just great that uh, at the end of this, we're going to be able to say that we have an alum uh, um, that is volunteering their time in a meaningful way to help advance the, the, the mission and the vision of the university in those 95 uh, counties throughout the state of Tennessee. I can't help but ask the follow-up, what will they be doing? Yeah, they, they will be doing a multitude of things. Uh, first, you know, we're going to get them trained up so that they can help out with student recruitment activities in those uh, 95 counties. They're going to be working closely with our extension uh, offices there to um, serve as, as guest speakers uh, on a relevant topic based on their area of expertise. Um, we're going to hopefully have them involved in uh, maybe hosting some game watching parties uh, uh, for some of our alumni uh, that that live in those counties. So th there's going to be several uh, opportunities. Oh, one big thing is we're working with our career center um, uh, at at the university so that uh, these alumni can serve as uh, a point of contact for providing job shadowing uh, opportunities for uh, uh, our students and alumni in these areas. That's any any fundraising remit for those? Ambassadors? Oh, absolutely. Uh, look, uh, Chris, first of all, we're all in the fundraising business. Okay. So if you hear, if I hear someone ever say again, you know, we're just friend raisers, <laughs> that is not so true. That's far from the truth. Uh, we, we are uh, so ingrained in fundraising. We help identify new prospects. Uh, you know, we certainly help cultivate, uh, we solicit. Uh, and and definitely we help stewards. So we're we're part of this uh, fundraising cycle, no doubt about it. Uh, but um, we ask all of our alumni to do three three things here at the the university. One, to be proud, so wear that orange. Uh, second, be involved, uh, serve as a volunteer on one of our committees or boards. Uh, certainly come to events, uh, whether it's online or in person. And then third, invest. And we say make one gift any size, every year, anyone. Uh, so whether you're an alum or friend of the university, that is our message and it's consistent throughout all of our communications. And, and so there is an expectation for uh, these ambassadors, uh, these area representatives uh, to lead the way and um, make, make a gift on an annual basis to the university. Love the clarity of that. Great. Yeah, thanks. And Chris, you know, when you listening to Dwayne talk about this really robust system wide effort to engage alumni across the state and the individual counties, um, when you think about big system wide goals for alumni engagement, what comes to mind in terms of how leaders across campuses should work together, have worked together to increase engagement? Or is there anything you might advise the team at, at UT to, to be thinking about? Yeah, in, in your case, Dwayne, you have four or five campuses across the state. We have five campuses. Five, yeah. So, and you know, Cal California UC system um, has ten, and uh, Indiana has seven or eight, and Texas. In all those examples, though, you have a flagship. In your case, it's Knoxville, and that's correct. Uh, in, in California, it's it's UCLA and Cal Berkeley, and Indiana it's Bloomington, and Texas it's Austin, and um, they're going to drive the biggest part of that goal. And, and the question I would always I'd start with is. Do people who went to the other campuses that aren't the flagship have the affiliation to the system, 
to the brand of UT or is it to um, that particular campus that they were part of? And, and I think the answer is going to vary. But um, if you're in California, for example, I know for sure if you went to UC Merced or S San Diego or um, Santa Barbara, you name it, you Santa Cruz, the school I worked with, you're to that campus. Your system-wide affiliation isn't very strong. It, it's, it has to do with your campus experience, I think, mostly. But from a system-wide standpoint, there are collaborate. There, there's there's um, strength in those numbers of collaborations with vendor relationships. For example, you can all ten schools use the same platform and benefit from that. But in the uh, I'm most familiar with UC. I'm going back to the example. They have, you know, Cal and UCLA have 500,000 alumni each, and you throw in the other ones, then you're you're close to two million alums across the state of California. The power of that group coming together to help legislative direction in the state of California around higher education and funding. And you know, those that's where the coming together of the groups makes sense. I don't think it, it personally, I don't think that, and I love Dwayne, if you have a counter to this, I'd love to hear it. Um, trying to get someone who went to a different campus to support Knoxville, maybe as a football fan might be relevant <laughs> in that regard, but, but, um, but, but they're going to want to connect to their, where they have that connection. So goal setting is more important to me around the campus-based version, but using the collective voice of those alums to, to help lobby or to help whatever the issue might be, I think is where the goals can come. Dwayne, what's your thoughts? No, you, you're right there on the money, Chris. Yeah. I mean, oh my goodness. That basically, there is a role for the system and there's a role at the campuses. Yep. And, uh, you know, the, the the key is collaboration. As a matter of fact, um, uh, President Randy Boyd says, hey, be one UT. And so there's, there's opportunities for collaboration. And I, I'll tell you uh, just my example here in serving in this role, uh, I, so I meet with my counterparts at the other UT uh, schools on a monthly basis via Zoom. Um, and then all of the chief alumni officers from the various UT campuses sit on what we call the Board of Governors. And we meet about three times a year and we meet on one of the five uh, campuses. And we've, we've collaborated on several alumni engagement uh, efforts uh, to increase engagement overall, uh, including launching uh, Connect UT. Uh, leveraging the, the graduate platform. So it's an online mentoring and career networking platform. And we also leverage, um, I think the company is still around, PBC uh, Guru uh, during the pandemic. And we launched uh, an online book club uh, yep, for yep. the five campuses. They're still around. And, okay. <laughs> and so as I know, anyway. <laughs> uh, the other thing that we work collaboratively on uh, uh, as a campus, because you're, you're right, uh, you're greater in numbers. And, 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 and so uh, we work together to help identify uh, alumni from the various campuses to join our legislative advocacy network and serve on the Alumni Legislative Council. Um, and so that is key. Uh, um, there's a, a ton of collaboration. I found it to be very uh, valuable in working with my colleagues across the campuses. Um, and, and, and looking at things holistically, not just from the campus uh, level, but also from the system level. And, and when you have those conversations, Dwayne, with your colleagues at the other campuses, and I have to imagine because of what Chris said, there are affinities and, um, you know, each campus has some unique qualities to them. Do you have conversations with your colleagues where they say, hey, that, that could might work at UT Knoxville, but it's just not going to work over here? Um, or in general, are you making collective decisions? Or, or maybe I guess both can be true, right? 
Yeah, I mean, look, we, we've had those types of conversations. Uh, th- there have been times where uh, we've, we've come to the table and say, hey, this could work for all of us. Uh, example, uh, launching uh, Connect UT. And then there's other uh, instances where, you know, what we do here in Knoxville just doesn't make sense for the other campuses. A good example of that is um, leveraging our chapters and, and hosting, hosting uh, game watching parties. Uh, some of our uh, schools don't have, uh, don't compete. Uh, athletically. And then some of the campuses, you know, there's a difference uh, between uh, FBS and uh, competing in uh, at the FCS level. Uh, so you're going to have more uh, involvement and, and probably greater affinity for those game watching parties uh, here versus the, the other campuses, which is okay. I mean, it's, it's just the difference. Do you include in- invitations to regional events? I'm, I'm assuming the further you get away from Knoxville, the answer probably is more yes, that you were going to invite people from the other campuses to that event in New York City. or yeah, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, on some events, yes, and, and, and others, uh, not. It, it, it depends on uh, whether it's strategically aligned. So, for example, uh, every year uh, we, um, we send out invitations to all of our alumni to attend an event in Washington, D.C. Uh, around um, our uh, federal um, elected officials getting together for that annual baseball game that they they do. Uh, so it makes sense for us to invite all of our alumni from the various campuses to partake uh, in, in that occasion. Uh, but then there's times where, let's say, if we're hosting an event in L.A. specifically to our campus, we, we would just invite uh, alumni uh, from the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, to, to that event. Hey, you have a future as a consultant because you started that answer with the depends. <laughs> you let me know when you're ready, Dwayne. Right? Hey, I've been around for, for quite some time. I'm learning. I'm still learning. <laughs> I think I'm getting there. <laughs> There's always a nuance. That's the answer. Um, that you know, you've talked a little bit about collaboration across campuses in the state. Uh, I was going to ask you about collaborations on campus. You know, what are some of the goals you have? Partnerships with units like career services or or athletics or other schools or colleges? Yeah, I mean, we, we look, first of all, partnerships are key to our success. We cannot do it alone. Um, we graduate uh, a large number of alumni every year, but our staffs don't continue to get, you know, bigger to uh, meet those, those expectations. So partnerships are key. And so uh, we partner with many offices, uh, departments, centers, uh, colleges uh, on on campus, including athletics, uh, our career development uh, uh, area, enrollment management, admissions, the Center for Global uh, Engagement, uh, Student Life, our DEI office, uh, and and, and many more. And I'll give you some quick examples. So uh, DEI, uh, we we just celebrated our homecoming last week, and I attended a Black alumni soiree uh, which was hosted by our DEI office. Um, and so I had an opportunity to, to go and, and partake in that and uh, share a few words on behalf of our, our Office of Alumni Relations, uh, in addition to them hearing from our vice chancellor for DEI. Uh, so just you know, collaborating, being there together and, and hosting that group uh, really uh, makes a difference. And um, it freed up my team to be able to uh, host other uh, homecoming events and activities. Uh, you know, the other thing that we partner uh, with strongly is with our athletics department. I know that at other schools, sometimes they don't have the best of relationships. I can't say that here. I mean, our relationship with our athletic department, uh, while, um, you know, 
things can always be better. Look, we, we have a great relationship. And uh, one of the events that we started doing two years ago when the pandemic hit and we continue to do it is our countdown to kick off, tip off and uh, first pitch uh, Friday um, uh, events where we highlight uh, our football team, our, our basketball team and our baseball team. And we invite uh, some of the coaches to, to partake in this, leveraging this platform that we're using yeah. now so that we can stream it on some of the other social media uh, sites. Uh, we also bring back former student athletes and, and interview them. And it gives us a chance to really highlight uh, some of our star, uh, what we call VFLs uh, here uh, to help host uh, so uh, leveraging some of our, our local uh, radio talent here and, and having them uh, host the events for us. And then, you know, certainly uh, we're highly involved. I, I get the opportunity to um, share a few thoughts on uh, what our alumni, what we what we would like for our alumni to do. And it's, it's just been great. I mean, the, the following has been huge and it's something that, you know, we partner with athletics and we couldn't do it without them. The do, do you track into the, oh, go ahead, Chris. Uh, balls for life. <laughs> and do you track some of the individual engagement activity that happens, you know, when you're streaming events? Yeah, we um, do. We do. I mean, look, uh, we would like to be able to track every individual, but that's not uh, possible um, because we're talking about social media. But we do ask for our alumni to register. Uh, and so for those that do register beforehand, we're able to collect that information and tie that to an individual record so that uh, we can assign that alum a uh, engagement score because we have our own engagement score here at, at the University of Tennessee. And and then uh, we're able to to um, count that towards our overall alumni engagement uh, goal. Uh, but uh, we are able to you know share that. Look, this past year and hosting those countdown events, we engage. Uh, more than a million plus uh, of our alumni and fans um, just just by them checking in and, and listening. Uh, and I, I think that's great for for branding. It's great for visibility and it's great for exposure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we are bumping up against the top of the hour here. Yes, you're right. Time does go by fast. <laughs> it does go by fast. So we're, when we're having fun, right? Yeah. Um, Chris, uh, why don't you share with our live audience and those who listen on LinkedIn who we are going to feature on our next episode? Yeah, our good friend and world traveler, Matthew Lambert. How often <laughs> do you refresh? Oh, Jesse just asked a question. Uh, let, answer that real quick. Jesse Phil from NC State asked, how often do you refresh your engagement score, Dwayne? How, say that again. How often do you refresh your engagement score at UT? Yeah. Yeah, so our engagement score is is uh, we operate on a cumulative uh, basis, so uh, it's ongoing. It's uh, okay. uh, it's, it's it's ongoing for us un until um, we don't hear from them. I think it's after five years or so, and then we 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 recalibrate. Wanted to get that in the live show. Sure, uh, sure. Right, thanks. Uh, so Matthew Lambert, the vice president for advancement at William and Mary, uh, one of the most thoughtful leaders I've ever met in my. 21 years of doing this in the career. We're doing a project with uh, William Mayer right now, Ryan and I are, and uh, he'll be our guest on the next show in two weeks from today. Yes, November the 11th, if I am not mistaken. All right, well, that is it for the live show. Thank you for everyone for listening, and uh, we'll be back in two weeks. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can hear 30 more minutes of Dwayne Wiles. <laughs> All right, bye, everybody. Oh.
All right. We have returned for the second half of this week's episode of Alumnus with our friend and colleague, Dwayne Wiles, uh, Chief Alumni Officer at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Uh, I guess that's not your official title, right? It's uh, Associate Vice President, right, for Alumni it's, uh, Affairs? Well, we, use, we use the Chancellor moniker here, so it's oh, uh, Associate Vice Chancellor for Alumni Affairs. Yes. And that is on my notes. All I had to do was, you know, be looking at it. Um, but what, so you've, you worked at a couple of different places, Dwayne. Uh, we've, we've chatted before the University of Nebraska, University of Florida, Florida International University, and now UT Knoxville, all yeah. major research institutions. And what do you think makes UT Knoxville distinct from those other schools? Sure. Um, well, first of all, all great institutions. Um, I would say that we, we are called the volunteers uh, living in the volunteer state. So service and leadership is highly ingrained. It's a major part of our campus ethos. And we like to say it takes a volunteer to light the way. And I, and I would say that volunteer name in itself is what makes uh, UT Knoxville so distinct. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not, not too many other schools can use volunteerism that. is literally yeah. built into the, the structure <laughs> there. I mean, I feel like that's kind of a strategic advantage that nobody else has, right? Agreed. And, uh, and Chancellor Plowman will be the first to tell you, you know, we need to take full um, full advantage of that and acknowledge that um, that is what uh, what makes us so distinct. In in the case metrics for how many of your alums are volunteers, it's it's 100 percent, man. You you have 100 percent engagement rate. That's right. There you go. <laughs> hey, when you were down at FIU, where I first met you, uh, you were overseeing both alumni engagement and annual giving. Yeah. UT Knoxville, you're, yep. you're just annual, alumni engagement. That's what, what model do you think has? Are there benefits? Are you? I know, you can say depends on this answer, but uh, <laughs> but is there a model you? prefer and does it depend on size and scope and type of institution oh yeah i'm gonna use the big word depend here uh <laughs> you know look and in, in all honesty uh based on my experience i would say both alignments can work uh as long as there is two things a spirit of collaboration and a culture of philanthropy if those two things are established uh you can make make it work uh either way um you know i, I think that there's uh there's a case to be made for uh, maybe a stronger sense of collaboration when annual giving is under uh, the alumni association, uh, but but I'm I'm here to t tell you, uh, being here at the university at UT, um, uh, I have a strong uh, uh, spirit of uh, collaboration, and and uh, we work uh, very closely together with our annual giving teams. Matter of fact, we we're housed under the same building and we see each other all the time. So that, that helps. Yeah. Uh, but, um, there's no, no competition, no perceived notion of competition. Uh, one of the things that, that helps with that too, is that, uh, we, we are not a dues paying membership, uh, uh, organization. Uh, so there, so, so we're not pushing membership, uh, paid membership. What we push is philanthropic giving to the institution. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you, um, at a big place, I mean, your, your backdrop is perfect for this question. Uh, <laughs> a lot of alumni activity at this time of year is around football and, and you know, yep. pride yep. is built. You know, people talk about athletics being the front doorstep to you know, other engagement and deeper connections. And you're, you guys are ranked three right now. Is that right? Yeah. Number three in the country. Yes, sir. Big game this weekend against Kentucky. Another one yeah. coming up not far from this little team down in Athens, Georgia. <laughs> what does success on the football field mean for 
you and alumni get, does it translate? Do you see a change? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh gosh. You can just feel it. You can smell it in the air. Uh, I kid you not. I kid you not. On campus, off campus, uh, you know, everywhere you go, there is definitely a correlation of, you know, your uh, whatever uh, college athletic team it is, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, there's just a sense of increased uh, uh, affinity and pride for the university. There's more positive comments on social media. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll always take that. And um, there's certainly, we've seen greater participation at our, our tailgates and our game watching parties. Uh, so uh, th- there is definitely uh, a positive direct correlation between you you know, any, sexual. You, are you aware, Dwayne, of any direct correlation to change in giving patterns or increase in alumni in- annual giving percentages due to success of teams? Well, let's let's hold on to that. Let's see how well we finish <laughs> off this year. <laughs> TBD, huh? I can come back and report back to right, you. We'll have you back. You'll be our first return guest to report back on that. But but I, I will tell you this short um, uh, story. So when uh, we beat Alabama, afterwards, our athletic department and annual giving uh, unit sent out a solicitation saying, please help us pay for the goalposts. I heard <laughs> it was a gimmick. Uh, uh, but let me tell you, within probably less than less than, like half a day, more than $100,000 was raised. <laughs> well. Let's let's piggyback on that because like, that's fascinating. <laughs> I, I was one of the people who sort of saw the YouTube videos cross the interwebs after <laughs> students tore down the goalpost, yeah. carried it out of the stadium, <laughs> and proceeded to hurl it into a nearby river, which oh, you know is just legendary. But it's not <laughs> you don't want to condone that, you know. It's uh, Ryan, you, you we you zoomed in, and you saw a certain staff member on the field with that. Yeah, was it me? I was wondering. I was like, were you? Was Dwayne on the field there? Was no, he helping well, carrying that thing? I probably he probably wouldn't have gotten away well, with it. Well, first of all, I, I was at that game. Second of all, heck no, I was not one of the ones that <laughs> ran down onto the field. I was too scared, man. I was like, no way. I I, I did not want to be caught up in that crowd. Uh, but let me tell you that the whole goalpost thing, it, it was it was electric. It was crazy. It was unreal uh, and exciting at the same time. But but after fifteen years. I mean, hear me out. After 15 years of losing to this one team, uh, this same team, it is no surprise we saw what we saw. Yeah. And 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 there was no one that was going to stop or prevent that from happening. Yeah. No one. No administrator or officer of the law was going to stand in the way of those youngsters hurling that thing into the river. But let me tell you. It wasn't just youngsters, okay? <laughs> our alumni rushed that field. As a matter of fact, one of our board members on the alumni board of directors, he sent me a picture of him, and he's not young. <laughs> and uh, so, and now I will say this. The university, they they prepared ahead of time. They knew that this okay. was uh, a possibility. Yeah. Um, and as a matter of fact, you know, folks were – talking about it around campus all week long leading up to the game. But um, uh, the, the the other thing that you probably saw, or maybe you didn't see, you know, there's a tradition with this game. The winning side smokes a cigar. 
So not only did you see football uh, fans and alumni and, and students run out uh, down to the field, but you you probably saw some folks pull out a cigar. <laughs> <laughs> it was mayhem, it, but it was it was certainly a memorable moment and something that I will never ever forget. <laughs> That's a, a core, it was a core memory for you and so many other people, right? Uh, forever. This Sorry, is Greg. not at the same scale, but the most played college football rivalry is the Lafayette Lehigh if you're sitting on campus in Lafayette or the Lehigh Lafayette football game if you're from where I am. And the same every year, the winning kids would rush the field and tear down the goalposts. So maybe Tennessee can take a page from this, but (laughs) they would take down the real goalposts and put up the you know old wooden H goalposts that cost seventy dollars, not seventy thousand dollars. And they would just let them rip them apart and be done with it. It was easier to do that. There you go. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. (laughs) Just put up the cheap goalposts, thinking they'll be coming down anyway. Well, obviously, you know, as you alluded to, you know, athletics can definitely is an exciting thing and it gets the the best of us um, in most of the time in a good way. Right. And but sometimes not in a good way. Sure. Our alumni can get really passionately involved in a negative way about their sentiments regarding athletics. Um, you know, you and I, Dwayne, have talked a couple times in the past, <laughs> and I'm teeing this up a, a story that you told me the last time that we talked. Oh I believe was it from your time at um, FIU or was it from your time at UT Knoxville, um, where you were you had a certain certain situation where you're, there was a lot of uh, negative energy around athletics. I won't. I will keep the school nameless, but it Fair was enough. not here at UT Knoxville. <laughs> okay. Yes. Thank yes. God it wasn't here. <laughs> Probably wouldn't be able to really talk. Yeah, about it was some it. institution in the state of Florida. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're down to two now. <laughs> um, and 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 look, uh, th- these things unfortunately they do happen. Um, and I, I'll tell you this quick story. So at a previous institution, yes, uh, we had a rogue. Alumni board president, um, good friend. I'm still friends to him with, with him still to this day, uh, but he was not happy with the athletic director, and he took it personal. And uh, being in in that position as board president, you know, there's there's certain expectations and certain lines you don't cross. Well, he crossed that line by submitting a letter and presenting it to the to the board stating that uh, he he wanted the athletic director to be fired. Well, lo and behold, somehow, I wonder how, uh, this statement, this letter, uh, uh, was caught up by the local media. And the next thing you know, uh, a day later, his statement was published in a local newspaper. So needless to say, (laughs) I laugh about it now, but it wasn't a laughing matter back then. Needless to say, I got a call from the university president and a few board of trustees um, asking, well, what is this? What's going on? Why why is uh, this board president asking for the firing of this athletic director? Uh, And and here's the thing. You know, I spoke to uh, this board president and encouraged him not to do it. Um, My boss at the time uh, also had a conversation and encouraged him not to do it. Uh, we were actually going to uh, plan a meeting so he, that he can sit down with some of the leadership at the university and share his sentiments. Um, but for whatever reason, he could not wait. And uh, when it got out into the local media, 
Um, needless to say, it did not make our university leadership happy. Uh, to make a long story short, um, we installed a new board president uh, of, of the alumni board, um, and uh, our athletic director did not get fired. And uh, time heals all wounds. Uh, over time, you know, the the president of the university, uh, when this when this all happened, he was not pleased, rightfully so, and uh, he sort of backed away from some of the alumni board activities. Uh, but over time, uh, we were able to mend those fences, if you will, and, and get back on the right track. But I, I will tell you this lesson learned. Uh, first of all, you, you always have to go into this business knowing that uh, um, the unex be, be expected for, to uh, be expected for the unexpected um, um, uh, and, and make certain that you have a very good relationship with your university leadership <laughs> to be able to get through moments like this. Because if I did not have an excellent relationship with our president, with my boss, the uh, senior vice president of advancement at that time, and some of the board of trustees, you know, maybe uh, I wouldn't be smiling at you <laughs> right now. But it, it's, a, it's a great point in the broader category is from a volunteer management, specifically with your alumni board, depending on the type of institution, whether or not it's a governance or as a fiduciary role, but boards, boards, councils, councils, what is your role? And, and, and the answer to the question is when when the when the board president would come came to me with that letter and said, I'm thinking about publishing or sending this, my answer, my response would have been, it's not your role. That's right. As That's the board right. president, you have a right as an alum to That's correct. That's correct. But when once you take the role of the board president, you have to be careful about how you share that opinion, right? That's <laughs> At the end right. of the day, it's not they're not their role. So so how do you how do you balance that? Is there training that you provide when you onboard new members? Do you are you clear with them about what is their role and what's not? Yes, and that's an excellent question. Yes, I mean it's part of uh, onboarding. Uh, they they all go through a training. There's a guide that they they go through. They fill out um, conflict of interest forms, and it yeah, states right. clearly what you can and cannot do as a uh, a board member. Um, and 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 that you know we lay out clear expectations in terms of. Uh, what we're asking you to do, uh, and 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 granted, this board at, at that institution was a um, uh, was a um, uh, a volunteer board, a um, uh, uh, an advisory board, uh, so it didn't have any uh, legal responsibilities or disciplinary so, responsibilities. Role, right? yeah. It was just yeah. advisory. So, uh, and and the same uh, uh, is is uh, the same is is here at the University of Tennessee. Is they're serving in an advisory capacity. Doesn't mean that uh, they can't voice their opinions or, or that their voices doesn't matter because it does collectively. Uh, but there are certain expectations, and and the main expectation is that these advisory boards are set up to support and to help advance the mission and the vision of the advancement shop, the University of Tennessee, point blank. Yeah, love it. But, you know, but, but, you know look, sometimes you're going to have some folks, so whether it's a chapter president or uh, a board president, uh, go rogue and because they feel so passionate about a, a certain situation. And to your point, Chris, you know, that's fine. You have that right as an alum, but being a uh, serving in that role on uh, the board, whether you're a president or president-elect or some other elected position, uh, there are certain expectations and guidelines and you must follow the, that that code of conduct. Do you think sometimes folks make these 
statements, you know, because they've been empowered as volunteer leaders, meaning the individual, the board president who made the statement calling for the coach's firing. Do you think that that person or in other circumstances, Chris, like when you're thinking of working with other boards, do you think folks, because they've been given elevated to a leadership position as a volunteer, that that they feel that empowers them to make such statements when they wouldn't necessarily have if they hadn't been the president of something, you know? No, that's 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 a great observation. I think I think there's some truth to that. I, I really do. And especially when that board president may be on the younger side versus someone who has <laughs> more yeah. experience and, and a little bit mature. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of seasoning helps understand that perspective. Absolutely, a little bit of gray hair or no hair. Um, but you know, at, at, at the at the end of the day, though, I think a big part, a big factor of it, Ryan, is whether or not that happens is the culture of the board and the inherited behaviors that come from previous. So, if that member who was the president who wanted the athletic director fired um, sat on the board for a number of years and saw his or her predecessors. Um, you know, behaving in that way, whether privately or that's a pretty public example we just shared, they get it in their head that they're going to have some power. And that gets to the point where that letter is a little easier, you know, in their mind anyway, to write and, and have some influence on it. Where at the end of the day, the only thing that it did in this case is it got him, I'm sure it was him or her, but I'm assuming him that got him out of his alumni board leadership position. That's what happened at the end of the day here. So, yeah. I've always kind of felt one of the things that we we do is we try to come up with as many volunteer leadership positions as we can. And then we are surprised when they try to make leadership type decisions <laughs> as, as, as a, instead of, you know, just doing what Falling we tell them. and doing whatever we tell them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take know. it a little uh, broader and ask I mean, a final, final question for me anyway. Um, do some predicting for us. Think about the alumni engagement industry five years from now, and even your own shop. Uh, what are you going to be saying about the field you work in and your team at UT Knoxville? Yeah, that's no, a great, great question, Chris. Uh, I think in terms of the field, the industry itself, uh, I, I would like to say that uh, we're going to have a new alumni engagement metric to use in addition to U.S. World and News Report alumni participation rate. Love that's that. first yeah. and foremost. Uh, I think Case is really making some huge strides uh, to come up with additional alumni engagement metrics that I'm 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 really excited to to hear about. Um, you know, this uh, for the next three years, I have the honor and privilege of serving on the commission. Uh, on alumni relations uh, right. for case. And so being privy to some of those conversations, um, I, I like where uh, we are headed. Uh, because as you know, I mean, there's there's more to, to what we do outside of alumni participation and, and, and giving. Amen. That matters, don't get me wrong, but there's, there's other ways in which our alumni engagement efforts can truly impact uh, the life of the institution and our alumni. Uh, so that's that's one. And I think uh, also you you'll I think we're going to see more sophisticated alumni shops leveraging AI to help us with personalization. We talk about that for years and years and years, and there are a few schools that do that uh, really really well. Uh, but 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 the majority of us, uh, man, we we have a long ways to go uh, because it's just so key that we provide alumni with information and communications that's relevant. Uh, that uh, is, is based on their interest and their affiliation with the university. We, we got to get better at that uh, as an industry. Now, as it relates to UT, what you're going to hear, uh, the announcement of a league gift. 
to name the new alumni center on campus because we need a new home. Uh, and I'm the Wiles Alumni Center is coming. Is that what you're saying? That. Wow. Right <laughs> There's some alum out there or some organization or company that I'm, I'm quite sure they would love to put their name on a new alumni center uh, on our campus. Uh, the other thing is that I'm really passionate about and I really love uh, what we do out of our office is we have these alumni scholarship endowments. And I, I think uh, in a few years, you're going you're gonna to hear us say that we have $10 million endowment scholarship balance and uh, that we're bringing in annually close uh, to a half a million from our affinity license plate program, which directly supports our, our, our endowment scholarships. Well, we have this alumni matching um, uh, scholarship endowment fund where, you know, it, it takes 25000 to establish an endowment, but we match it. Um, uh, we, we, we meet you halfway. So the alum only has to come up with twelve thousand five hundred. We match it with the other twelve thousand five hundred. You can pay that over five years. I mean, it's very doable. And man, yeah. let me tell you, that program has been so successful, and we continue to build on that. And just just the the impact that that has on um, supporting our students has been tremendous. And that's a great story for us to be able to tell yeah. out of our alumni shop. Amen. Amen. So just a little bit of advice for you as a consultant looking in, you need to get a little more excited and have more passion about your work. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's actually uh, seems like it's good to, to be Dwayne, you know? <laughs> it's really great to see how deeply and passionately you deeply you care and passionately you are about your role and about your university. So kudos and great job and great thoughts for this audience. So I'm glad you're here. Well, thank you, uh, Chris, man. It's, it's, it's truly a privilege and, you know, in life, it's, it's about uh, working on working in an area that you love. And I, and I love what I do. I've, I've been blessed through the years and have worked for some uh, uh, under some great leadership from university presidents, uh, chancellors. And I've learned a lot uh, in, in having that experience at uh, some of these other uh, R1 institutions. It's just been a it's been an honor and a privilege, man. It really has. Well, um, we're grateful for your time. And, and before we let you go, one of the last questions we always ask our guests is about where you find your inspiration. And it's quite clear you find it uh, on campus in many quarters. Oh, but, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where oh, do yeah. you look for, um, you know, inspiration, uh, professional development, uh, individuals who you follow or admire, you know, anything that you can think of that the folks who listen to alum list, they can say, hey, got some advice from Dwayne and, and that and took it and ran with it. Well, I'll, I'll say first and foremost, man, my, my faith um, uh, is, is where I draw a lot of my inspiration, a lot of my energy um, and, and zeal for life. Uh, second, my family, you know, I do it all uh, for, for them to, to make my family situation better. Uh, and, and you, you hit on it and I know I've talked about it, but you know, campus life, man, meeting, building those meaningful relationships. Uh, I was just with our student alumni associate group the other day, and we did our big, uh, SAA reveal where, um, uh, these students go through, uh, two weeks, three weeks of interviews to be a part of this student leadership group that, that runs out of our office and they have no clue. They come to this event and then we reveal it that night and I get an opportunity to congratulate them and shake their hands. And it's just it's just awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, our students, our alumni, faculty and staff that all get to meet, they're, they're truly an inspiration. You know, wh where do I look, man? I, I <clears throat> since I've been a part of this profession, uh, I've, I've loved the uh, uh, the fact that we can talk to each other. 
uh, and share best practices without any uh, competition. And so I listen to my peers. You know, I, I'm, I'm a part of the SEC or AppSec, we like to call it, Alumni Professionals SEC group. Uh, you know, I'm a member of CAAE, the Council of Alumni Association Executives, and man, it's just some great people uh, that uh, make up that organization. And then serving uh, on case uh, commission. Uh, I mean, you're talking about a brain trust of our industry. They're all there sitting sitting at the table. Uh, so I, I, I certainly listen to them. Um, I love reading uh, books on leadership. And I, I'm quite sure uh, you guys have heard of Jim Collins. So I, one of my favorites is Good to Great and Great by Choice. Uh, you know, you can't get any better than that. And then I, I'm reading this book called Ego is the Enemy. Um, I've read uh, Kim Scott's uh, book. I believe Kim Scott, uh, Radical Candor. That's another great one. Uh, and then the classic, you know, Who Moved My Cheese <laughs> and uh, Out of the Maze. Man, I mean, those are some good ones. And and uh so those are those are some of the things that I, I look to and, and read to, to help me uh, continue to keep going uh, here at the University of Tennessee and in, in, in this industry. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. That was a great list of inspirations. And um, you're an inspiring guy. And I know you've, lots of folks are inspired by the work you're doing there. And I'm sure the folks who uh, get to participate with you at Case and um uh, CAAE and um, AppSec. Yeah, I think yes. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm sure that that they are grateful to have you in the room. But um, we'll sign off for this week's edition of uh, Alumnus for for Chris Marshall and Dwayne Wiles. I'm Ryan Catherwood. Thanks for listening to the podcast version, and we'll be back uh, to you in a couple of weeks with Matthew Lambert, Vice President for Advancement at William and Mary. Thanks, everybody. Bye now. <laughs>